The Truth Machine, the Pomology Society will raise money for, is going to dig deep into every kind of idea, not just political ones, since philosophers will do the beta testing and shape the introductory product, the first question you'll find worked out on it is my own claim that maximized awesomeness is real. The most obvious objection is the problem of evil. If maximized awesomeness includes all that could possibly be good and excludes any type of evil, then how can it be real? Today, I'm going to show you how maximized awesomeness defeats evil. Ready? You've discovered the Pamology Society podcast. Join us on our journey as we explore the maximization of awesomeness one ray of light at a time. And now, the host of today's episode, the Pamology Society's founder, James Carvin. Before explaining how maximized awesomeness defeats evil, I think I should summarize some of the territory that we've covered since I started this blogcast. In episode one, I gave you an orientation. I explained what the Pomology Society is and what it does. We'll raise money and provide human resources for high-impact, concept-stage enterprises. And what we are is a philosophical society. Pomology, as a philosophy, considers the subject of awesomeness. Your awesomeness, awesomeness in the world, and cosmological awesomeness, something called metaphysics. You look around the world and you see a lot that's awful instead of awesome, though, don't you? So for Pomology to propose that maximized awesomeness is real seems sort of like a stretch, but I'm a Pomologist, and I've asserted that I could prove it was true, and that I'll do so for anyone who takes our free Pomology 101 course, where you can earn yourself a nice top hat with a widget on it that signifies your accomplishments in the society. All you have to do is pass the course. In episode two, I described the project that I thought would be the most strategic and important to fund and support first. The Pomology Society is about action, not just words. The project that's at the top of our list is a truth machine platform. It's a better fact-checking tool than the current art of fact-checking now offers. You should definitely go back and listen to those two episodes at the least. Each episode builds on the last. In episode two, I expressed my belief that if the counterchecker, the name that I've given to that truth machine, had been operational and functioning the way that I envision it, there would never have been a war in Ukraine. I believe it would have saved thousands of lives and untold misery at this point. And then in episode three, I listed a number of other issues of our day where I believed a truth machine could also have had a huge positive impact and made a world of difference. It's product for our time, and it should have been developed decades ago. We need to get started on it without any further delay. So please, fund us so we can fund the truth machine. Please. The counterchecker will require $1.4 million to develop and take about nine months to complete. I'm dead serious about raising this money and getting this done as quickly as possible. I have a full and very elaborate design. In subsequent episodes, I dove into some philosophical issues in order to lay the groundwork for a discussion of pomology. Pomology itself as a philosophical system will be a sample subject for discussion as I call on the philosophical community at large to debate it during beta on the truth machine. So in case you're a new subscriber and this is your first episode, Pomology stands for Poly Astronomically Maximized 
Awesomeology. Its core beliefs are that we're called to awesomeness, that if awesomeness is truly maximized, all that could possibly be good must be real, and anything that's evil has to be illusory. And for that to happen, many universes are required, not just one. It has to be poly-astronomical, many universes, as many as it takes for every good possible thing to truly take place. And all that is going to be a constant, because the total set of all possible good things is a constant. So the first subject discussed on the counter-checker is going to be pomology. It'll take the form of a debate between its proponents and its detractors in the philosophical community, and it'll be judged using sound epistemological principles that philosophers tend to agree on. I described a lot of those epistemological concepts in episodes four and five for you to help give you a taste of how the scoring system was going to work on the truth machine. You see the method behind my madness here? After that, we started discussing God and religion. It was important to distinguish between philosophy and religion. Maximized awesomeness does suggest that God is real. If I prove that maximized awesomeness is real, I might just be proving that God is real. I've dredged up several things that the philosophical community as a whole has come to reject over the last few centuries. Something called foundationism, dualism, and theism. Most philosophers today cringe at the thought of all these things. They have their tools of debate at the ready for them, so I know I'm setting myself up for defeat here. But by discussing it on the counterchecker, we'll be demonstrating how truth can be ferreted out despite sharp disagreement. That's what I'm after. So the fact that I'll support a minority view myself really isn't going to matter. If what I'm saying is true, then the truth should rise up to the top through the machine, if the machine works. And the way I've designed it, I think it's going to. So... At the center of that debate is going to be something called the Pomologist's Theodicy. A theodicy, in case you missed it, is an explanation of how God can exist if there's evil in the world. We talked about that in earlier episodes, but today we're going to cover a particular aspect of it and go through what I've been talking about in the last two episodes, where we dealt with the question of free will and how a person who believes that maximized awesomeness is real might look at it. What I was talking about was that for every possible good thing to be real, free will might be a good thing, but not necessarily in every universe. So whatever universe you might be in at a given moment might not be a universe that has free will. I drew an elaborate picture of a multi-level nested digital library where you didn't just have a dual nature, but you might even have a multiple nature. I drew up two categories of what you might be in maximized awesomeness. You as an accessor of instances of you, and you as instances of you being accessed in that digital library, do you remember? So look up the episode on compatibilism in case you missed it. I compared universes that are deterministic, ones without free will, with CD-read-only memory media, and those that allow interactivity with CD-read-write media, or interactive video games. CD-ROMs represent an epiphenomenal dualism. We covered some philosophy terms there. CDRWs represent something more like the substance dualism of René Descartes. For maximized awesomeness to be true, both types of media, both types of universes would have to exist. Otherwise, every good possible thing wouldn't be realized. So that brings me to our last episode, episode 13, where I made much ado about nothing, so to speak. 
I should clarify something about that episode. Now, knowing my personality would help. Sometimes I say sort of clever things that sound absurd just to get some attention. In episode 13, I suggested that there was still something in nothing. Remember that from a philosophical point of view? Since abstract possibility still exists even if there's nothing. But I didn't say that very accurately. All possibility, which is indeed a constant, is not actually contained in the space of nothingness necessarily so much as it still exists, whether or not there is nothingness. All possibility doesn't have a place or time. My point was that it doesn't require space and it's independent of whatever's going on in the universe as it's always true. It's simply an attribute of reality. Math, accurate math, is a constant, whether it's realized in it or not. So if there was absolutely nothing in any universe, the total set of possibility would still exist. It would continue to be an attribute of reality, not of the nothingness itself, right? So that point clarified, this is where today's episode's going to pick up. We're talking about the fact that pure possibility is a set of ideas. It's information. And as information, it contains a number of things. It contains patterns. It contains patterns capable of computation. It contains computations capable of consciousness. And it contains consciousness capable of understanding itself. The totality of possibility, even. And all that's to say that if it's true that reality and consciousness are comprised of information, as some say, then all possibility understands itself. It's self-understanding. Now, that's a pretty quick summary. It's also worth repeating, especially that last point. So listen to this again. If it's true that reality and consciousness are comprised of information, then all possibility understands itself. It's self-understanding. It's a pretty wild thought, but let's look more closely. It isn't actually all possibility that's self-understanding. It's the computational part of all possibility that stems from its patterns that results in consciousness that's self-understanding, right? The computational, self-aware part may understand the rest, but the whole of possibility is not self-understanding. Only a subset of all possibility is capable of understanding all possibility. But either way, all possibility is understood by possibility itself, because that's a possibility, and the computational patterns within all possibility exist to make it happen. Now, today's episode's about defeating evil, and that's where all this is leading to as we move from the subset of self-awareness to the subset of maximized awesomeness, which is also self-aware. We might see one possibility in the total set of possibility is a subset of conscious computational patterns that would maximize awesomeness, wouldn't we? It would first understand what maximized awesomeness would be, it would know why it should be, and would also know how to make it real, understanding all possibility. It's a subset within all possibility. All those contents within conscious computational patterns that are subsets of all possibility are just a part of the total set. The result would be the realization of maximized awesomeness from pure possibility because all of the contents that need to exist are there, including the patterns that cause computation within information. But there's a problem. The problem is that also existing in the total set of conscious computational patterns within the total set of all possibility is the possibility of maximized awfulness. 
maximized evil. By definition, maximized awfulness would involve the utter defeat of maximized awesomeness, just as, by definition, maximized awesomeness would involve the utter defeat of all awfulness, including maximized awfulness. Fortunately, we can rarely see that these two concepts are mutually incompatible. If one defeats the other, the other won't exist. But since all possibility exists as a constant, how can either one be defeated? Neither one can ever be eliminated as possibility. But there is a simple answer. If possibility and realization of possibility are not the same thing, then the possibility of evil doesn't have to mean the realization of evil. Now, some of you may be having thoughts about the observation of evil at this very moment. Hold those empirical thoughts. We're still dealing with a priori reason here. I've addressed the problem of evil in previous episodes, as you may recall, so let's review that. For maximized awesomeness to be real, every good relationship to evil has to exist. Otherwise, every good possible thing isn't going to be realized. And it's as simple as that. And that explains the observation of evil that you're thinking about. So long as the evil itself is illusory, if it's an illusion, for maximized awesomeness to be real, the appearance of evil is absolutely necessary in at least some universes. Otherwise, every possible good thing can't happen. I always like to use the example of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a good thing. You can't have forgiveness if there isn't at least the illusion of some evil having taken place, some injury, right? Some sin to forgive. So maybe the sin never took place, but if you have the impression that it did, then the good thing of you forgiving is going to take place. So the result would be that you think that you're observing evil, but you're merely responding to a circumstance in some good way where you think that evil exists. That's what epimologist believes. The circumstance is loaded into your conscious perception as an opportunity to respond with some relational good thing in some good way. In other words, you can react with awesomeness in any circumstance, and you should. What's the best you that you can be in this circumstance? Go for it. Now, if you think that I'm just brushing off evil as an illusion without any forethought, well, think again. I spent some time demonstrating through probabilistic abduction why it is that consciousness is not subject to time, but rather time is subject to consciousness in more than a few of our previous episodes. The result was a probabilistic a priori proof that the picture of life I've been painting is more than wishful thinking. It's based on mathematics, and it's very good news. See my episode on probability for more details. I won't have time to repeat all that here. I just need to bring all this together for you so that you can see that what I'm telling you rests on a very solid foundation. We'll have a lot to debate about on the counterchecker. I can easily defend all this. Ironically, the weakest link in my logic happens to be found in the leap from information to consciousness. The very thing that philosophers of mind and neuroscientists today have embraced. Whether a person leans toward the panpsychism of layered consciousness or a larger leap towards the biological emergence of it, every monist has to admit that it's computation that's sparking up consciousness from the physical world. What makes consciousness possible is that computation. 
As one of today's popular favorites, Daniel Dennett insists, and most agree, the mind is a computer. But if a maligist is going to tell you that there's no computation there that doesn't already exist in the patterns found in all possibility. Therefore, the patterned information that makes for the conscious perception is part of an ever-existing constant, simply being biologically manifest in a particular universe in a particular way. But that's a digression. Let's talk about evil, our subject for today. Evil is a possibility, but if maximized awesomeness is real, then evil's not a reality since the two things are incompatible. And conversely, if maximized awfulness were a reality, then nothing good would be a reality, most especially maximized awesomeness. Well, it just so happens that as true as it is that the presence of the appearance of evil tends to defeat the idea of a benevolent, all-powerful god or maximized awesomeness, so also does the presence of good things defeat the idea of maximized evil. At first appearance, everything that can be said of maximized awesomeness can be said of maximized awfulness just in reverse. We could say that every relation to good must exist for maximized awfulness to be real. We could say that the definition of maximized awfulness would be that than which there could be nothing worse, containing every possible evil and nothing good whatever. Do you understand that such a thing exists as a possibility? Do you see how that sort of absolute evil would be incompatible with the reality of absolute good? Of course. And what we observe seems to be some random mixture of things, some good, some bad. So does that mean that everything is an illusion? The good, because Max Offel requires all good things to exist as an illusion for the sake of relationship with bad reality, and the bad, because Max Awesome requires all sorts of bad things to exist for the sake of relationship with good reality. Hmm. Well, if that were the case, then maximized awfulness would be a reverse mirror image of maximized awesomeness in every way. Do you see that? Good. And what we obviously have here is a definition of the devil, right? Knowing the nature of the devil actually would be very useful for our thought experiment, so let's hold on to that. And now we have a very precise definition of maximized awfulness. Or do we? Now let's slay the devil together by looking more closely at the contents of all possibility that would be found in maximized awesomeness that would not be found in maximized awfulness in any way that would counter or negate the good of maximized awesomeness. I'll start with an observation attributed to Jesus by Matthew. When speaking of the devil, is said to have said that any kingdom divided against itself couldn't stand. But let's think about this. Let's uh, drop an illustration first. If an all-good group of people does something together, let's say they want to build a building, and then they're going to cooperate to build it. Being all-good, they'll readily select a means of agreement on how to build the tower. They'll happily participate together in a way that a good end can be achieved. They'll do all that together because they're good-hearted selfless, putting personal pride and gain to the side for the sake of the common good. Could the same thing be said of a band of evildoers? <laughs> Maybe not. Evildoers might not be capable of building a building for the sake of evil because selfish pride and personal interest would probably prevent it. I don't know if that's the best example. 
Typically, the only way evil accomplishes really monstrously bad things is through either the randomness of a universe, which brings on chaotic destruction and suffering, well, that's certainly possible, or through the error and deception of intelligent do-gooders so that they might bring it on themselves. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? result is that even if maximized awfulness was self-aware as possibility, the most awful thing it could accomplish would be impossible to accomplish because no real good thing could exist to deceive, destroy, or make suffer. Each of those good things would merely be an illusion by definition anyway. So when you multiply two negatives together, what do you get? You wind up with a positive. The only thing evil could negatively affect is evil itself. So, if that's all true, the kingdom of the devil in the reverse image that I've been describing is inherently divided against itself. It's rendered powerless in the light of the kingdom of God, so to speak. So contrast these two realms here. In the realm of absolute evil, evil negatively affects evil only, while there's no real good to affect. In the realm of good, Good positively affects good, and its relationship to evil is also a positive effect, even if the evil itself is illusory. That's a very big qualitative inherent difference here. But we need to change this thought experiment out a little bit, shift the paradigm. If what constitutes true evil involves not just the real destruction of evil, but also of real good, then we could allow in the kingdom of darkness the existence of real good that could be subsequently damaged or turned into evil in as many ways as possible. And that would be inherently worse. The image against maximized awesomeness is no longer symmetrical in an opposite mirror image way, but we do wind up with real evil if that happens. A negative times a positive, guess what? It's a negative. So if we're looking for maximized awfulness, what we should be considering is an awfulness that involves real good. The result is relative awfulness rather than a complete awfulness. And to be maximized, it would have to bring to evil every conceivable type and variation of good, right? Is this making sense so far? The problem with realizing this is that the higher and more profound the type of good it would have to bring down, the less achievable it would become. What, for instance, of incorruptibility? How do you destroy that which is incorruptible? How do you taint it? By definition, it can't be tainted or destroyed. Therefore, the entire category of incorruptible good things would have to be undestroyed and untainted. You can start to see here how maximized awfulness is necessarily limited in its ability. Of course, we might be tempted to say that that means maximized awfulness is not omnipotent, whereas maximized awesomeness is omnipotent. But is that true? Can maximized awesomeness allow evil? No. It might possess that power, but it chooses not to exercise it, we might say. So, if we're going to talk about free will and the right of choice, we're not necessarily eliminating omnipotence. So, one attribute that accurately portrays the difference between maximized awesomeness and maximized evil conceptually is the power of choice that each might possess. Maximized awesomeness chooses not to allow reality to include any shade of evil. Maximized awfulness chooses everything that it can, but it's not omnipotent. It chooses to allow good to be part of reality rather than mere possibility to the extent that anything good might be harmed or destroyed if it could. 
or ultimately become evil, right? Both Max Awesome and Max Awful select reality from all possibility. They don't do all things. Neither one chooses to make all possibility real in its entirety. The complete restraint of all evil by maximized awesomeness would then involve the defeat of an entity that can't restrain its greatest features, including maximized awesomeness itself. The restraint of as much good as possible by maximized awfulness is limited to those good things that can be brought down to ultimately become bad things or in some way hurt them. And more than that, maximized awfulness has to, by definition, permit every conceivable good thing to exist because either it could allow it to exist because it could defeat it or would have to allow it to exist because it couldn't defeat it or prevent it from existing on account of the computational possibility of maximized awesomeness. The result is that every manner of good has to exist both in the case of maximized awesomeness and in the case of maximized awfulness. This puts maximized awesomeness at a very great advantage in prevailing in any struggle over what becomes real out of all possibility. For one thing, maximized awesomeness can't be defeated by maximized awfulness even by the inferences from the definition of maximized awfulness. While in the definition of maximized awesomeness exists the defeat of an illusory maximized awfulness, in the definition of maximized awfulness, there's no such thing as the defeat of maximized awesomeness, since that can't both be real and illusory. It requires maximized awesomeness to be real to defeat it, thereby making any real evil out of it. It requires that it not be real, since by definition it would defeat itself if it did. So, you see, no kingdom that's divided against itself can prevail. Maximized awesomeness remains intact because positives multiplied are unlimited, whereas maximized awfulness has severe limits that prevent it from multiplying every positive by a negative. Awfulness, even when maximized, is easily defeated by the many invincible realities contained in a maximized awesomeness that any form of maximized awfulness is incapable of preventing. I hope that at this point you can see how maximized awesomeness is not defeated by its opposite as a possibility. In the selection of what becomes real, a self-aware portion of computational pattern in the total set of possibility, which is always possible in any universe or dimension, the choice to restrain every manner of evil is a logical one. It's also a moral one. But take a note. Unlike Leibniz and Aquinas and other philosophers, I haven't suggested that the reason God has to be real is that it would be morally right for him to be real, as true as that might be. I pointed instead beyond concepts to how it might happen by looking at maximized awesomeness itself as a definition truly existing in the realm of all possibility, as pure logos. By logos here, I don't just mean word, I mean the logic of perfection. I mean truth. As information, and I mean it in two senses. First, the truth of all possibility, as possibility, because that's truth. Second, the truth of what's real, a subset of all that's hypothetically possible. The stuff worth making real in order to maximize awesomeness. Maximized awesomeness is what's real. And that means that if anything could be good... It's true. And none of that's easy to believe when we see evil. I understand that. We assume that what we see is real, not illusory. And the evil bothers us probably more than anything. We don't see all that could be good, either. We're incapable of that. 
So, all this is what makes pomology such a challenge. It's hard to wrap your head around. It would be nice if it was true, but you don't think it is, do you? <laughs> Even if I've proven it to you, you may be thinking to yourself, just can't be true. I've got to have a flaw in my thinking somewhere, right? This is why it's healthy to have peer review. By offering pomology up as something that can be examined by other philosophers, scrutinized, why logically either be overcome or it's going to be sustained. Now, maybe they can prove that your gut instincts that evil is a real thing are right. The place where that conversation is going to take place is the counterchecker, a place where any idea can be vetted. While there are plenty of philosophical journals, very few people actually read those. The counterchecker is a public platform, truth detector. It's going to be a place where non-industry audiences could be far more likely to see it. I haven't been expecting my blogcast listeners and readers to be schooled in philosophy or physics or neuroscience. I'm just teaching awesomeology here. It'd be awesome if we had a truth machine. Just sharing these blogcasts would be a step in the right direction. Can I get you to do that for me? Awesomeology isn't just about ultimate things, though. It's also about your awesomeness. It's time to talk about you. I mean the you that you usually think about, or maybe just the you that you thought about before you met me, right? One that has just one life to live, one living in just one universe, not thinking about a multiverse or other dimensions. We need to talk about how you can be the best you that you can be in that universe. It's time we look at some of the other features the Pomology Society has as I do a broad brush overview of Pomology in our opening season. I want to share my whole vision. So in our next episode, we'll bring things down to earth a little bit and start to do just that. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Pomology Society podcast. Transcripts of our podcast may be found at our website at pomology.com. We love it when you share them. Want to dig deeper? Complete our Pomology 101 course. It's free to subscribers, and you just may earn a top hat. If it would be good, it's true.